You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, April 5th. I want to start this out with a huge shout out to everyone who helped make Process Palooza 2023 another resounding success. It was really good to be back in person after all those years, and the feedback that we have received from registrants, sponsors, and guests alike have so far been both humbling and inspiring. All of you played a role in putting on a unique and unforgettable multi-day event that connected people from 84 different institutions, including 11 UCs, 15 CSUs, 11 other universities, and 47 companies. So from all of us who worked behind the scenes on this year's Process Palooza, myself included, I want to offer a sincere thank you. We are full of gratitude for anyone who participated or registered or spread the word. Of course, the whole mission of Process Palooza is to celebrate the wonders of continuous improvement. So we are not going to stop everything until next year. No, we are going to continuously work to engage our communities with the mindset of Kaizen on our social media channels. So check out our Instagram or our LinkedIn. We are at Process Palooza, of course, and keep an eye out for some of the amazing photos and videos that were taken during the event. And now another news, nominations for the UC San Diego Exemplary Staff Employee of the Year Award are due by tomorrow. Thursday, April 6th. This award recognizes professional and support staff career employees who make exceptional contributions to the UC San Diego and San Diego communities in support of the vision to be a student-centered, research-focused, service-oriented public university. The award ceremony will take place on Thursday, August 24th via webinar. For more information and to nominate a colleague, visit the News and Announcements section of the Blink homepage. And now, over to Todd Anderson, who caught up with Rocky Manchini. Hello, podcast world. Todd Anderson, communications specialist here at the mic. Today, I'm joined by Rocky Manchini. Rocky, welcome to the pod, and how are you doing today? I'm doing good. The quarter is just about to start, so we're doing a lot of uh, pre-praying quarter setup, and a lot of work, but it's good work. That's good. All right. So jumping into that, can you tell us what your role with ITS is and how long you've been with UCSD? Yeah. So I've been with UCSD for a year and a half. I'm a DevOps engineer on uh, the academic technology innovation team, which is my direct supervisor is Paul Jameson, but the uh, senior manager for the uh, entire department is Valerie Bolichar. Got it. Awesome. And so you're currently remote right now, right? Yep. Full remote. I I live in Orange County. Okay. Got it. So how's that been going so far? And have you had any chances to visit campus or interact with your teammates or other ITS colleagues in person yet? Yeah. um, So I've definitely gone down to campus a few times. I really like the whole remote arrangement. Uh, It's really nice to be able to hang out with my dog and stuff, uh, you know, at work and it's easy to make food and it's just really nice to have all of that comfort not to worry about the commute and everything but yeah. I have made my way down to San Diego a few times mostly for team lunches I've also been involved in a couple of uh 
organization wide events like mm-hmm. our annual uh, employee appreciation event that was really fun and uh just yesterday i was part of a uh, process palooza and so that was oh. a good time too awesome yeah i'm seeing your t-shirt everybody will be happy to hear that yes yep. went off well it's a big weight off of everybody's shoulders i know in uh preparing for it and getting it going so did you uh just attend did you compete what what uh what did you do at process palooza I, I was basically just uh, had on board. Uh, I didn't do any of the planning or anything. Uh, I just showed up the day of and uh, did what I was told to do. Just uh, moved a lot of things, set up a couple of things. Awesome. Uh, it was a guide, showed people around. It was fun. Awesome. Well, I, thanks for participating and thanks for helping out. I'm sure everybody was super appreciative of that. Okay, so but before we dig into your role with ITS, Let's just hear a little bit about your background. Uh, I understand you attended UCLA. So what did you study and how did your time there put you on the path to working in IT? Yeah, so I initially started as a physics major. Uh, I wanted to be uh, in aeronautics. And then I took my first physics class in <laughs> in uh, college and it was really bad. I remember uh, I somehow made it through the first class in the series with like a D plus. And then in the second class, I, I don't know why I kept going, but I got I got the lowest score out of like 200 people uh, in one of our midterms. And I somehow passed the class with a D. So I, I decided after that physics wasn't really for me. <laughs> uh, I went into statistics, uh, which I did a lot better at, a lot, a lot better. Uh, especially with like a programming background that I had from high school and everything. Uh, I really fit into that major a lot better and the math was definitely easier. So I did that for a while you know, until I graduated. But uh, while I was, you know, at college, I was also working at the humanities technologies department uh, as a computer lab assistant, uh, where I would help people use uh, certain technologies like uh, the respond this uh, lockdown browser and uh, QGIS and just programs that we offered in in the lab for course instruction. A lot of lectures were hosted in that lab. And so I would also do a bunch of AV work and uh, just set up for those courses uh, in the environment. So it was super fun. And then when the pandemic hit and we didn't you know, really offer the computer lab anymore, the humanities technology team had some developers that were working on some open source uh, websites and uh, applications and so they took uh, they took on some of us as student developers and there I did some work with PHP and uh, Google Apps Script uh, we made a we made a spreadsheet and it was really cool we made a spreadsheet that would uh, essentially allow you to export and import quiz questions into uh, Moodle and uh, into Canvas so two different LMSs and it allowed uh it allowed us to migrate uh between the two platforms i'm not sure i'm not sure how much that tool was used in the actual migration to canvas at ucla but at least that was one of the intentions mm-hmm. it was a really cool tool it's actually really popular in europe it has like thirty thousand like users from like european universities so that, that, that was really fun uh but i guess outside of that project Eventually, when I graduated, uh, the main developers uh, had left, and so they hired me on to replace the full-time developer there at a half-time contract. And so I did that, and I was still doing PHP work, 
And then eventually I just transitioned over to here. I uh, applied for the DevOps engineer position and I was accepted and I've been here ever since. Awesome. Great. Great. So did you start learning, developing in high school or, and that set you up Mm -hmm. be in that position that you were in uh, when you were a student employee there? Yeah, I started learning in high school. Uh, I got my start with PHP and everything. And I remember, uh, you know, it was a little harder at the time just because I was younger and I was knowledgeable. And I eventually said, like, uh, you know, programming's not for me. I'm going to go into physics. And so that's what I did. Got it. And then when I went into statistics, I never even had the intention of going into programming full time. I wanted to be like a data scientist or a data engineer. But I know I found my way here. The uh, job posting was open and I was qualified. And I realized I was just better at development than I was at statistics. I was really good at the math part, but like some of the modeling and stuff just wasn't really up my alley as much. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it was still a good time. I, I really enjoyed the major, but yeah, I would say I got my start in high school, stopped for a bit, picked it back up in college, and that's just kind of how my career flowed from there. Awesome. All right. So so you transitioned from working at UCLA to working at UCSD. How would you compare working for these two large academic institutions? Uh, the positions are so, so, so different. When I was working at UCLA, uh, it was in a self-contained department. It wasn't part of, you know, there was no real ITS at UCLA that might be different nowadays. But at the time, uh, Hum Tech was pretty uh, isolated. I think they report directly to the chancellor. So uh, it was definitely different. The scope of our projects was a lot smaller. Um, okay. We like, like one website we made was uh, for a linguistics class and it was a very small user base. We spent a lot of time making a website for like 20 people and it was a cool website. You know, I really, I was really proud of it, but it's very different from here where the things that we're working on, you know, impact users from dozens of courses every quarter you you know our department potentially with our data hub and aws educate service we're looking at around one to two thousand users you know every quarter and so it's definitely the stakes are a lot higher yeah um and there's a lot and the environment's a lot more complicated and uh and i would say generally this job is just more difficult than my last one my last one was just isolated web development it was fairly simple uh, this, there's so many different systems that impact everything. Uh, and so, yeah. Um, and, and also just the uh, culture um, where ITS is this one big department. So we're always, you know, going cross department uh, for our efforts and collaborating with other people uh, where working at UCLA, we didn't see as much of that. Got it. Everything yeah. mostly stayed within HomeTech. You're kind of more in a silo, you know, doing your own work and focusing on what that specific department needed, you know, whereas mm-hmm. now it's not not only just university-wide, but even within ITS, you're working with dozens of different people from different teams. Uh, so so let's dive into that. What, what type of projects do you work on? What does your day-to-day work look like as a DevOps engineer? So I would say that, um, especially on our team, uh, for ATI, we're all, we're definitely jacks of all trades. You know, we're not just web developers. We're not just sysadmins or backend or whatever. We basically have to do like everything. And so every day is definitely quite different. Um, just today we spent, you know, three hours 
patching a bunch of our servers uh, because we were you know, taking down Data Hub for maintenance. So I guess more on your point of what you know major projects do we have? Th there are three that I've spent a substantial amount of time on, and there are quite a few of other smaller projects. But uh, the three that I've spent the most time on would be uh, Data Hub, which is the data science machine learning platform uh, at UCSD. Uh, we allow users to you know, connect into our website and they can run Jupyter Notebooks, uh, which is like a coding environment uh, where they can run their like machine learning models and uh, you know, perform data science using our computational resources. Because you know most students don't necessarily have super nice laptops with you know beefed up GPUs and CPUs, but here, you know, they could they can potentially run models, you know, using our equipment, and it just it makes things a lot easier for students, and it really gives them some hands-on experience that they can use in the real world. So it's really cool. Adam Tillman's probably spoken about this before, uh, but you know, one and, and he's the uh, I, I guess one of the major founders of Data Hub. Uh, you know, a lot of students don't necessarily get the chance to like work on computers with GPUs so they can't really do like these uh, intense models using uh, you know, big name Python libraries like TensorFlow uh, and CUDA and things like that. And so I think it's really amazing like how many users you know, we get to reach out to. Um, and in a similar vein, AWS Educate is kind of the same way. It's a service that allows students uh, and I guess uh, courses in general to use AWS for instructional use, courtesy of funding from Amazon themselves. Uh, we put kind of guardrails around AWS so that they don't accidentally spend all of their money. And so we make sure that, you know, everyone's like safe and that, uh, you know, no one's going bankrupt uh, from accidentally leaving something on. And it's just, it's really cool. It's really cool that we get to, that we get to enable instructors and by proxy students to use these services so they can learn these things for once they graduate, because it's just such a big game changer, you know, especially nowadays uh, when you're looking for jobs in the market. And so, yeah, those two projects are quite similar in the overall goal that they achieve, which is just allowing them to use computational resources for instructional use. But another uh, tool I worked on and, um, you know, we're slowly kind of rolling into production for widespread use is uh, a SAL, which is, our our student account lookup uh, website okay. uh, and it's just for internal use for the service desk and everything to look up students uh, as well as other things like provisioning uh, accounts to students in extended studies uh, and so that's really cool um, it is replacing eventually salt.ucsd.edu which was the initial student account lookup tool so this is kind of a redesign but also is integrating other uh common like student provisioning aspects into the website so that's really cool too yeah that's something that i still work on occasionally even though we've moved to production so it's been good got it okay and so uh <laughs> you know when i was reading through some of the the information you sent me before this interview i you know i was looking at some of the things you were mentioning obviously like data hub and machine learning and you mentioned kubernetes clusters which i've heard of before yeah. I'm not one of the IT people who really knows the technical ins and outs. I was just curious, like what is uh, or what are Kubernetes clusters? 
Yeah, so essentially the way Data Hub works is that you know, we have like our master server and below it we have around 30 different nodes, different computers that kind of you know, work with the master server and everything. And so the Kubernetes cluster, it does a lot of things, but one of the main things that it does is kind of just connect all of the uh, other like smaller servers to our main server so that you know, when a student like runs uh, a container in Data Hub, uh, and a container is just like their environment with all their computing resources and their libraries and everything. Whenever a student runs that in Data Hub, uh, Kubernetes is responsible for allocating the resources to them, deciding which uh, smaller server they should go onto, which node. Uh, and so, you know, oh, this user Rockford, they're on node one, they get one GPU and you know, however much uh, memory and disk space and CPU resources. Uh, and so Kubernetes is kind of the big orchestrator of our platform. It just decides how resources are allocated and it really just connects everything. Oh, because yeah. we have so many different programs that keep Data Hub running and Kubernetes is just the glue that really holds it all together. Okay, so, so you know, maybe metaphorically like an air traffic controller for everything that's yeah. to make sure that we're not getting crashes, you know, or we're not over-provisioning resources or stuff like that. Yep, I, I think that's a really good analogy. All right, well, it's good. I just came up with it right now, so maybe <laughs> I'll keep that one in my back pocket. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the analogies they use is an orchestrator. I, okay. I think that's what it's called, is a container orchestrator, and so... It monitors the behavior of every little notebook that's getting opened and making sure that, I guess, like a high level that everything's working fine. Got it. Okay. All right. So so looking ahead, are there uh, any like major projects on the horizon for yourself or your team? Or if if maybe not, same type of stuff, you will be working on the same stuff that you mentioned. Are there like any areas of professional growth that you're hoping to pursue? this year or in the near future? Um, I would say in terms of projects, I mean, we're always working on Data Hub. We're always trying to make it better, more maintainable, and just easier for us to work on the future, um, especially now. Um, recently, we had an employee leave our team, and so kind of a lot of what we've been doing for the last month, or probably the next couple of months, is really just getting up to speed on all the uh, areas where he was, you know, uh, of where our coworker, Wesley, uh, who's great, by the way, uh, every, everything that he worked on. So I would say it, it's mostly that. We don't have any super big projects in the horizon that, uh, you know, just are absolutely groundbreaking the data hub. It's just things that make it easier for us to personally work with and manage it. In terms of areas of professional development, I'm always looking to get better with uh, integration technologies, things that just make it easier for us to deploy and automate and test. Um, and so always working on things like that. Yeah, I, I don't want to get into like too deep of specifics. Yeah. <laughs> and get like too technical. But yeah, I I would say uh just areas uh DevOps engineers ought to be good at integration, testing, automation. And I also personally for myself, I would like to get AWS certified in the next couple of months. I've been studying a lot for it's not the cloud practitioner uh, practitioner exam. It's a tier above that's the solutions architect uh, certificate. So that's something that I've been personally spending a lot of time studying for uh, myself. Awesome. Awesome. So now I know you, you mentioned outside of work, 
you're utilizing some of your development skills for a personal project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I don't know if the uh, uh, video footage is going on the podcast or anything, but I have this uh, Raspberry Pi right here, which is just a single tiny computer plugs mm -hmm. into my wall and stuff. And it runs a uh, Linux installation of Debian. And because I was kind of inspired by how we use Kubernetes and Data Hub, I set up a Kubernetes cluster on my Raspberry Pi. And uh, I use that to uh, deploy some of the applications I work on for uh, my own personal use. Like uh, <laughs> me and my friends are really into a game called Magic the Gathering. And so mm -hmm. I made a little bot that uh, can like quickly fetch us cards when we're you know playing and uh, hanging out over voice chat and stuff, uh, as well as uh, take deck lists uh, for the game and like export and import them into uh, other formats so that we can you know play with them more easily. And so, yeah, I mean, that's mostly what I, what I use this for. And it's just so I can have an easier time, I guess, setting up games with my friends. That's awesome. And, but yeah, I'm a big Magic the Gathering fan, so. Okay, so another part of <laughs> some of the information that you shared with me prior to the podcast, uh, the elephant in the room, or shall I say, the large, slow-moving reptiles in the room, is that you own two tortoises. Strangely enough, where I currently live in Arizona, my neighbor has a, a super large tortoise that lives in their backyard whose name is Todd. And my dog, whose name is Rocky, uh, goes bonkers every time it's walking around there and barks at the fence as uh, Todd rambles by back and forth. And I'm thinking this is weird on the day that Todd, the podcaster, and Rocky, the interviewee, are <laughs> talking to each other that there are also this alternate universe uh, animal versions of ourself uh, as a tortoise and a dog. So <laughs> I'm going way off the map there, but uh, <laughs> what, what led you to own tortoises and uh, what do you enjoy about owning them? And I know, I think you said you have a dog too, mm -hmm. or you mentioned you have a dog. How does your dog interact with the tortoises? Yeah. So uh, I have two, Sokata tortoises. Uh, they're basically desert tortoises uh, named Coco and Gus. They're, oh, I don't know, probably about nine or 10 inches long, um, but they, they get quite big. They eventually grow up to be, you know, 100, like 200 pounds. They're they are large animals, uh, but right now they're still quite young. I've had them, oh man, it's probably been about two years now, ever since my senior year of college. Um, so two and a half years, really. And uh I don't know. I really like the idea of such a long-term pet. Overall, they're quite easy to care for and you know, they're always going to be around. And eventually, you know, uh, when I uh, get like a house or whatever, I'm planning on getting like this giant like menagerie with like all sorts of crazy reptiles and stuff. I think that'd be great. But yeah, right now I'm just kind of starting with them really setting the uh, groundwork uh, for that. And so it it's, it's a good time, you know, uh, they're really chill they literally just sit in a box and walk around and eat hay and fruit and whatnot and um my dog uh peanut he's a great pyrenees he is a a big a, a large lad he is uh <laughs> he is 120 pounds wow. and he's a year and a half old i got him about six months ago when i first moved here to orange county uh, and he's he's great. He's a super uh, loving dog. Uh, 
he, he gets very excited and barks a lot and he has a big scary bark but he is still such a sweetheart he's a absolute teddy bear and he still acts like a puppy even though he's almost two and so yeah, yeah, absolutely love fun. him to death <laughs> so what's the like time time scale of when uh your tortoises are going to actually get big like is it giving you enough time to be like all right i've got three years to make enough money to now yeah. have a house that's big enough to house them <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it'll probably be like another half decade or decade where, you know, like I'll actually need that much space. Where I'm currently living, I have a patio that like I let the tortoises roam around a little a little bit. And that's more than big enough to keep them around for, you know, a couple more years. Um, so I, I think the timeline is fine. I think if... Uh, if I haven't procured like a large like outdoor space in like 10 years five maybe like five to ten years but then we're probably going to start having issues but right now I mean they're definitely a very manageable size yeah. uh, they only weigh maybe like 10 pounds or so that's awesome all right well Rocky I think we'll wrap it up there uh thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you better it was a pleasure having you hey I'm super glad to be here thank you so much Todd all right have a good one I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.